This episode is sponsored by Linode. Do you need a Linux server for your latest creation? Then check them out. They provide SSDs, 40 gigabit per second network connections, and top-of-the-line hardware to run your server on. It deploys Linux in seconds from the Linode cloud, and you can choose your Linux distro and node location right from the manager. They have locations in Asia, North America, and Europe, and they have a sweet set of tools to make it easy to manage it. If the web interface isn't your thing, they also have an API and a command line. So definitely go check them out. They also provide two-factor authentication, IPv6, DNS manager, cloning, scaling, and everything else that you want. So definitely get the most out of your Linux node and check them out at linode.com. And check them out at devchat.tv slash linode. Hey everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week we're talking to Eric Berry. Eric, do you want to say hi? Hi. Now, Eric's been on the last few episodes of Ruby Rogues. He's officially part of the panel now. And he's one of the people that I got to know early in my Ruby career. So I thought we could just uh, dig in and talk and find out how you got into coding and Ruby and all of that stuff and maybe dig into a little bit more of what you're doing now. How does that sound? Sounds great. Absolutely. So first off, do you want to just give people a quick introduction as to who you are and, and, and stuff beyond what I just said? Sure. I am Eric Berry. My Twitter handle is CoderBerry. It used to be Cavneb, C-A-V-N-E-B, and then I got really tired of explaining to people how to spell Cavneb and how to run <laughs> <write> down <laughs> how, what it means. So, so yeah, I went to Coderberry. I've been a Ruby developer for nine years, and I've been a software engineer for about 19, and then Ruby for about nine. Nice. So how did you get into software development? So way back when... I lived in St. George, Utah, and I worked for a company that I was hired to do HTML, and and I don't even think they had CSS back then in, in 98 or 90, 97. 97, anyway, it doesn't matter, 98. And they had me do the mock-ups and the HTML building for a company called vLender. They did a, a lending service, and you basically find a, a lending partner to, to help you with home loans and stuff. Uh -huh. So I back then, and this will date me even more, uh, and, uh, and I, I realize that there's more and more old developers, so I don't, I, I'm in really good company, right? Yep, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm looking at you, Chuck. <laughs> I'm not that um, old. No, you're not as old as I am, but you, I got more hair than you do, buddy. <laughs> that's true, that's true. <laughs> Let's set the bar high here. Why don't we? That's, that's right. So I, so I worked for this company and, and I, and I used Photoshop, but it was Photoshop version two. And this is before they had layers. Imagine using Photoshop before layers. Ugh. That's what I did. I'd slice up everything and get slices and you cut it up and that becomes your HTML. Anyway, I did that for a while. And then I went and served a two year mission for my church, uh, for the LDS church in uh, California, uh -huh. came back. Uh, and while I was on while I was on the mission, I built the software using Microsoft Access to manage all of our our cars and manage all of our oh wow our apartments. So that was my first real dip into any type of programming, and it was fun. It was a it was a blast. I came back, went and worked for the same company, 
And then my my brother, who uh, you've met, Chuck, mm-hmm. um, a huge inspiration to me. The man is he's just an incredible programmer, a very gifted entrepreneur. And he he decided with his wife to move out to Switzerland and join a company called Som. And they were an e-commerce company out of Switzerland, uh, pretty big, mm-hmm. uh, all in PHP. So I was super jealous. I thought, oh, I want to go do that. And I asked my brother, I said, do you think they'd hire me? And he said, I don't know. He said, you got to learn PHP first. So I went out and bought a PHP book. And I think it was PHP 3 at the time. I can't remember for sure. Went out and bought a PHP book, uh, started reading it got a passport, flew out to Switzerland, and just started showing up at his work. I just started showing up. I, I barely knew any programming at all, but I'd go to work. And uh, eventually, they hired me. Eventually, they gave me a job. And it started off in PHP, but then in, it, we started shifting over to Java. Back then, I learned Java. And I learned Java over the next four years out there with uh, no IDE, I was actually pure, pure Vim. About six months into working at SOM and living in Switzerland, uh, my brother and I had created this software that allowed us to share photos with our family back home. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Switzerland's a gorgeous place and we had tons of great photos. And there was no such thing as Facebook or right. Shutterfly or anything like that at the time. So we created this thing that allowed us to do that, and one of the uh, people that worked with us said, "This is this is a business. We can we can make some of this." So, long story short, we he went out, got funding, and I think he raised initially about a half a million uh, British pounds, uh, and then we up and moved to England and opened shop. And over the next, um, over the next. Uh, four years. Over the next four years, I had lived in England and uh, helped build up this uh, this platform, which eventually sold to HP. It was called ShareAphoto.com, and uh, we eventually sold to HP. It was it was a lot of fun. I I I never went to college. That was my college. Is <laughs> being out there, you know. I, I learned. Nice. Yeah, this is this is why I sound like I do and I, and <laughs> and all that. But I also uh, learned a lot of business. I mean, there were there were there were nights when I'd have to sleep at the office on, because I didn't have a place to live. Um, oh wow! <laughs> uh, th- yeah, <laughs> but it was a blast. I was I was yeah. young. I was twenty two, twenty three, and and doing something out in the world. It was great. Nine um, eleven hit, and then my brother and his wife said, "We're going home. We're going back to America." Mm-hmm. So they left. I was there for the next two years, held out as long as I could, and then I left back to go to um, back to uh, Las Vegas. So I left this career as a developer out there, and I moved to Las Vegas, and I worked for my uncle as as a residential home appraiser, mm-hmm. and I did that for four years. During I, I just time, want to interject here for folks that aren't aware. Um, when he says back to Las Vegas, St. George is about an hour-ish from Las Vegas. So go, yeah. So so well, going going back if, is the if same kind of area. Man, I'm never driving with you. What? 
If it's really an hour, I'm never driving with you. Maybe an hour and a half. I don't remember. I just drive it. Sorry. When I say back to back to Vegas, what I mean is back to the United States. Right. Right. Uh, so I flew back to the United States to Vegas. Uh, and by the way, feel free to ask any questions or interject. I'm just kind of rambling here. No, it's interesting. <laughs> I don't know if I've heard all of this. So <laughs> it's, it's a fun story. Moved back to Vegas. I become a residential appraiser. Took two. I have two years in, as an apprentice. Two years as running a, a, a firm. And in that time, I was making crazy good money, like really, really, really good money. But I was. It was a high stress, fourteen hour day. It wasn't fun. In that in that process, I decided to help our company by building software that essentially our whole platform ran on, our whole company ran on the software that I wrote, which was written in Java. So I decided after four years, I hate appraising. I don't care if I take the biggest pay cut in the world, which I did. Mm-hmm. I went from, you know, for me as a 27 year old person, 28, I went from uh, 30, uh, no, 100, 180,000 a year down to 65 when I quit that and went over and worked for a company. And I can't remember the name of it, but a wonderful, wonderful Java house uh, that was in, that was in Vegas. So I worked for them for, man, I can't remember. It it must've been five or six months. And I had gotten married previously before. And my, Mm -hmm. my wife was wanting to move back to Utah. That's where she was from. So we're like, all right, we'll go to Utah. So we pack up our bags and everything and come back to to the glorious land of Utah, where all of the uh, super smart people that I know uh, are are in this area. Mm-hmm. So let me let me let me rephrase that. I'm trying to make a uh, I'm trying to make a joke compliment, and yet sometimes it doesn't work. So you need a sound effect that goes wah wah wah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so anyway, there are, yes, there are smart people everywhere. <laughs> anyway, I moved back to Utah and I get a job working for AtTask, uh, right? Go work for AtTask. Uh-huh. Now, at the time, AtTask's whole platform was written on, on uh, Java. There was a guy there, I think his name was Dan Reese. Uh-huh. He was hired almost the same day I was hired. And he, and he got there. They gave they, – the, we both were – we both came in and we decided to challenge each other. Because we were interested in these different frameworks, and right. I was interested in Python, in the uh, Django framework, and in the Rails framework. Mm-hmm. This is 2008, um, and he was interested in both. So we decided, well, why don't we do a thing? Why don't we both explore? One of us explore one, one of us explore the other, and let's find out which one's better. So we did that and he he went out and he did research he created a project i went out i did research i created a project and and uh at the end of the day we're like both like wow rails is awesome so that's how it started that's what introduced me to rails now at that time at, at task um there were we so they put me over on the marketing team so as a marketing developer at at task and i built tons of stuff really cool stuff i think uh-huh that time, but it was all in Rails. Now, the problem at the time was Rails had a great story except for deployment. They were using Mongrel, right? Uh, and back then, so Mongrel, Mongrel. was a, <laughs> Oh, the good old days. 
Dude, it's just, it's so funny. Like, even the name is like these dogs just gnawing on your legs, right? The, the mongrels are coming to get you. Uh-huh. Um, and at the time, it, it was just, it was really difficult. We couldn't get these things figured out on how to deploy. And so uh, the owner was so mad. He was angry. And he's like, you guys are not leaving this office until this is working. Period. Uh-huh. So... So I stayed there with a couple of other friends, David Anderson, uh, and some other people, trying to get this thing working. And we eventually got it working. But my gosh, it was complicated. I remember I actually took a nap underneath the desk. It was, it was, it was quite an evening. I'll never forget it. So soon after, I think he pronounced his name Hong Lee, uh, Passenger came out. Oh, yeah. And so Passenger played such a huge part in the evolution of Rails. And the ability to accept Rails as a um, as a viable production solution, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in fact, if you, I was one of the first people to actually donate money to the uh, passenger thing, and I think I'm oh, still wow. on the website. It's uh, yeah, I'm pretty proud of that. And was, <laughs> hey. um, so uh, we 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 switched it to passenger. Uh, I ended up leaving, um, leaving, uh, at task, um, and going over to, uh, Omniture, which of course now is Adobe. Mm-hmm. Spent some time there, moved over and I've, I've done several company shifts in the process. I've worked at, uh, Instructure on the Canvas right. platform. Yep. Um, also helping build their bridge product. Uh, I've worked for, uh, one-on-one marketing, doing uh, lead generation, uh, worked for a bunch of places, but all of it was every single place I went. It, it would take the Ruby skills that I learned from the previous place, and it would become. It, it was just an ever-evolving Ruby Rails training. And it was wonderful. I had some great mentors, great opportunities, great people. It was a lot of fun. Yep. So one thing that I want to uh, bring up, and this is partially, you know, just out of my own selfish, you know, this is something that I worked on for a long time. Um, So I remember going with uh, or going to RubyConf in San Francisco and hanging out with you and a bunch of other folks. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I seem to remember you getting me and a few other people to record videos for Teach Me to Code. Do you want to talk about where that came from, especially since I took it over and ran it for a few years? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Teach me to code. I don't think anybody remembers what that is, at least the initial inception. Mm -hmm. What you turn it into is great. But teach me to code was my homage to Ryan Bates. Right. Uh, Ryan Bates, as everybody knows, ran RailsCast. He... Taught, he taught me how to code for a very large part. In fact, Ryan, if, you, if you're listening to this, thank you. Um, and I think a lot of people would give you the same thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and I, I, I think he was still doing it when I started doing it. Uh, but what I wanted to do was I, I knew the concept that if you teach, you'll learn the most. If you, if you try and teach, you'll learn more than if you just try and learn. Mm-hmm. So I took that concept and I thought, okay, I'm going to try and teach. And I did it in a very different way than it wasn't polished. It wasn't something beautiful to watch. 
I would fumble through issues. I would uh, debug, and my my things were typically an hour or less than an hour, mm-hmm. but I would get stuff done. But the feedback that I got at the time was, "This is great because it's real coding, not right. just you know. You, it actually you you cover how to how to debug." Uh-huh. Not really. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was great. Um, now I, I, you came in as a volunteer to help create content and that was awesome. And then as you know, I got, I went to work with my brother and we switched focus completely from Ruby and rails over to groovy and grills. Uh-huh. And once I did that, I had lost interest in keeping this up because at the time I thought Groovy and Grails was just the coolest thing in the world. So I didn't want to distract myself. And so I reached out and talked to you and you, and I asked if you would take it over and you said yes. And you, you just took it further and further and further. In fact, I know you interview a lot of people and I feel like I should interview you as well. (laughs) <laughs> uh, we went we went to lunch the other day and I mentioned this and I, I want to say it publicly is I, I have rarely seen people who are more determined to succeed than you are, whether it's good or bad, whether it's working or not, whether whatever it might be. It takes a certain type of person to stick with it over the years. And you are you're on the top of my list of you, you got you got some salt in you, man. There there's some deep there's some really good character in there. Oh, thanks. So I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah, it's it's just it's interesting because uh, I, I I also want to just point out, you know, you're the kind of person that you go out and you kind of uh, find these opportunities and create opportunities to help other folks out. You know, so you've got Teach Me to Code under your belt. I know you're working mm-hmm. on Code Sponsor, and you know we, yep. we we've mentioned that on Ruby Rogues, and you know we can mention it here too. Um, yeah. you know, just, just things like that where it's, it's like, you know what, I, I don't know if I would have come up with doing that on my own, but I think they're terrific ideas. And, mm. um, I also have to point out that teach me to code. And the reason that I bring it up is because I get people who ask me about my story and teach me to code was a large part of that. Um, you know, at least initially getting going, I, I had started podcasting before I took over teach me to code. Um, not before I did that first uh, initial video for Teach Me to Code, but afterward when you handed it off, you know, was after I had started podcasting. And I think that played into that decision a little bit. But, you know, it's it's that kind of thing. You know, you don't have to be the person that creates the thing or thinks up the thing, um, you know, the Teach Me to Code or the Code Sponsor. You know, you can still go out and contribute. And, you know, maybe at some point you'll wind up being the person that takes it over or you may just wind up being instrumental in it, doing a lot of good out there. I just, I love some of the ideas that you and Nate have come up with, with Code Sponsor and some of the other things that you're doing. And, uh, you know, ultimately, yeah, it was, well, this is, this is something that has helped me out. And so I'm going to do something very similar for people to help them out. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm happy to talk about Code Sponsor. Yeah. Right now it's, it's, it's very early stages. So I'll, I'll tell you, a, a little bit about how it, how it started. I've been trying, you know, I'm 40 years old. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to be one of those old developers and I'm thinking, man, I, I've been building other people's businesses for 20 years. I've been, I've been building, uh, uh wonderful pieces of software from the most beautiful craftsmanship style piece down to the cowboy code 
POS that somehow made the company money. And I realized I just, I just don't want to continue down a path where I'm not participating in the end result of that. Uh-huh. So I talked to my brother and my brother's making really good money doing, um, uh, uh AdWords. So I took a stab at AdWords and I thought, Oh, this is, this is going to work. And then I realized that, wow, it's going to work if I stick with it, Chuck style for, you know, two to five years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's not something I'm passionate about, right? Uh-huh. And what, what am I passionate about? I'm passionate about developers. I'm passionate about the open source community. I'm passionate about what I do every day. Right. I always tell people I'd program for free. I, I, I program for free for the right people, but I would program for free because it's something that I love to do. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's just what I love to do. And I love the community, the Utah Ruby user group. The Utah JavaScript group, Utah JS Lunch, mm-hmm. like all these things, uh, the Ember community. Oh my gosh, they're 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 great. That's what I love. So one of the things that that the open source community faces, and some are aware, some are kind of aware, some are not aware, mm-hmm. is that open source is slowly becoming a problem with maintainability, with sustainability. And the reason I say that is because. People are building their businesses, their careers on top of software developed and maintained by one to two developers. Two thirds of all software out there that's open source, the top percentage of of open source is maintained by one to two developers. Now, these people are people who have a day job. They're not getting paid to do this. They are, they are. Every day they're looking at their at their Git log, uh, their GitHub log, and their messages, with people politely but you know insistently asking for help. I need this. I need this. I need mm-hmm. this, and that doesn't go away. So what happens is these developers go down this path of of disenchantment. They go down this path of of burnout, and oftentimes you'll see a billboard on the on the repo saying looking for a new maintainer or not no longer maintained or whatever. Right. And you get this churn. And it's a terrible thing because these developers are providing the free service that we use to build our careers and make money. So I thought, okay, how can how can we take how can we take that problem? How can I help fix that problem? And I thought, well, why don't we bring marketing into it? Because currently, the, currently, what's happening is that the these these so this is they're trying they're trying to solve the problem, uh-huh. right? These developers are putting on buttons on their on their website saying, "Please pay me." The Patreon, right. the Git Tip, or whatever it is, um, all these all these they're trying to get funding one way or another for two reasons: one, for validation, so that they feel they're validated. I don't care if you get a penny a day. That penny a day as a little. A little reward saying, you know what? You're recognized mm-hmm. for this. You did a great job today. And then, so I, I, I had a meet, I had a talk with uh, with Ken C. Dodds the other mm-hmm. day, and I asked him about this, and he said, yeah, I, I actually tried to put this uh, pay me button on all of my repos. Now, Ken C. Dodds is huge out there. He has tons of uh, highly visible open source projects. He's he's a, a, a massive a massive influence in the industry. He, he's a great individual. Mm-hmm. He said, how, guess how much he got out of that? Next to nothing. No, he got nothing. Oh, wow. Nothing. So people don't want to do this because it feels like begging. Uh-huh. People don't want to, 
it, 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 there's that. So then the other side, and I, I apologize, I'm kind of taking this over, but the other side is that these these developers also say, okay, well, maybe I'll get a corporate sponsor, right? So a company will pay for it. Great. Great. The company pays for it. The company puts a little badge on their or a, a banner on their their thing, and that works a lot of the time. The problem is, is that once a company starts paying you for stuff, if that com- first off, the company is typically paying you because they use mm-hmm. your open source yep. repo. And then if they have a problem and they say, hey, we got a problem, guess what? <laughs> that developer is like, oh, crap, I owe them because they paid me. Right. And then there's this weird there's this weird relationship between the two. But we're getting closer to the solution, right? There's more money there. Mm-hmm. We're actually seeing money flow. Right. So now we got something called Open Collective. And I just got mm-hmm. off the phone today with, uh, with Pia over at Open Collective, one of the founders. And she... They've built a phenomenal product, a phenomenal platform. What they do is they provide developers the ability to create organizations called collectives Mm -hmm. where money through these sponsorships can funnel in. And then this collective actually handles it like a business and distributes it out based on invoices. So there are there are at least if I understand right, there are at least two people who are in charge of how the money distributed. And then they. they, they're in charge of how the money is, is distributed, and then um, they can they can do those distributions. So mm-hmm. if, if an open source developer comes in and says, you know, I, I, I did this, this is how much it cost me to do, they can get paid. Or, for example, it supports uh, it supports buying buying uh, swag for the project. It supports paying for design or websites for the project. It supports um, the, uh, the user groups for the project. All this kind of stuff. Phenomenal product. What's their biggest problem? Money. Yeah. Right. It's not it's not the it's not the money that it's not the flow of the money. It's not the way that they distribute. The problem is the money mm-hmm. coming in. Yeah. Right. Uh, there's a there's an organization that I love called the open. Uh, you know, I say I love them, but <laughs> I love I love them except the name because I can't remember the name. Uh, open design. Collect, they're the open design. uh let me make sure I understand what we're we doing here. Uh, open design. Anyway, the Open Design Collective. What they are is they are a group of designers who are extremely talented, and they are giving up their their talent to help the community, mm-hmm. to help the open source community. They're not getting paid. So here we have all these wonderful organizations and these people, these wonderful people who are creating these projects, helping me build my career. Right. Right. So what I've found and what code sponsor is, is a way to connect sponsorship directly to indirectly to these open source projects. And the way they do that is through, um, is, is, is through advertising. So, a sponsor can say, you know what, I have this message that is very, very um, targeted to developers. Think of any product that's on Heroku on the on their add-ons. Think of stuff like that. Think of any online education. Think of of uh, uh, consulting companies. Mm-hmm. These type of companies, they need to get, they live and breathe off of developers. Right. right? That's their business. They want to get in front of developers, but it's kind of a closed network. So. What we're doing is we are providing a, a turnkey way for these developers to connect with 
these sponsors who want to pay them uh-huh. without actually having them talk. Right. And what that allows them to do is there is no there is no unspoken uh, rule of of uh, this developer actually owes this company because this company is sponsoring them. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like that. On top of that, uh, there is a uh, you don't have to be a huge organization. You can actually have a smaller project. Right. There are there are rules in the open collective where you have to have at least 100 stars to even qualify. Well, that's not the case for a lot of places. Like what, mm-hmm. what if a repos has five stars? You know, we don't want to ignore them. So there's that. Um, anyway, I, I've talked a whole no, lot. No, I it's like fine. Soapboxed a little bit here. No, but it's it's interesting, right? Because this is the problem that we face. And some people face it as contributors and some people face it as open source users. And some of us have been around long enough. If you're around long enough, you're going to use some project somewhere, somehow that, you know, that the maintainer just backs out for whatever reason. And so it's, it's a reality. It's, you know, it's not, Oh, well you're rambling on about whatever it's, it's, it's a reality that we face here. I I feel very passionate about this. The reason I do is because I see the solution. Mm -hmm. There are wonderful companies out there doing stuff to help right now. Yep. There is a company called, um, I apologize, I can't remember the name. I should have had everything written down prior. I'll share them in the show notes. But there yeah. are companies out there who who are really trying hard to make this work. There are communities mm-hmm. that, are, that are getting together that are that recognize the problem and they're trying to say, how can we solve this? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you how we solve it. And I think, I believe this is how we solve it. It's by taking advertising dollars. Mm-hmm. And having those advertising dollars funnel to the developers, right? You see, advertisers will pay however much they can, mm-hmm. as long as they're getting a return, right? And then the developers, if they so every developer has a personal property mm-hmm. on every one of the readmes, they have a readme. Yep. In that readme, we can place a very subtle, subtle, non-obtrusive, non-graphic ad which is more it's not even an ad it just it's sponsored by and it says a name and a little bit about what they do Mm -hmm. um i think we're capped at 85 characters so that you can't say a lot right right but it's a very subtle ad saying look this company cares about open source and they also have a product that developers want to see right right so now what happens is this guy over here who has this open source project can say i will make money if people uh, if people receive, receive this message. Right. Um, on top of that, now there's, there's two, there's two points to look at it. Now, some developers might say, you know what? Oh, I don't like this. It stinks. I, you know, the, I don't like mm-hmm. have, I don't like being paid for open source. I don't think open source should be paid for. Well, somebody's got to pay for it. Yep. Either in, either in time developer burnout. That's what's paying for it right now. Developer burnout. <laughs> right. Yep. It's being paid for in stress. Yep. So, and then other developers might say, you know what? I make plenty of money. And that's true. We are lucky enough to be in an industry that is so successful. Right. Right now in Utah, we have 104% employment rate for developers. 104. Mm-hmm. Yep. And because of that, we now, I can go out and get a job in two days. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm not being arrogant. It's just how it is. That's a, that's a fact. So... Uh, and, and, and it's not just me, it's any developer out there. Mm-hmm. They can, any, any developer who's mid-level or higher can get hired within two days in Utah. So 
developers are thinking, I don't need the money. So now what happens is, tell you what, why don't you take that money that you would generate and distribute it to these underfunded open source or open collectives mm -hmm. that are out there? I'll name a few. The open design, the uh, women who code, mm -hmm. right? Yep. That kind of stuff. LGBTQ communities uh, that are that are in development. These type of things we can help. Um, there is uh, one of them is the uh, veterans who code. Yeah. Right. A, a project solely dedicated to helping veterans learn how to code. Yep. So if you don't want to help them, we are providing a mechanism for you to be able to um, use your property, your GitHub that you are that you are drawing attention to, display a product or a service that is extremely relevant to the developer mm -hmm. that they want to see, that they want to see, yep. and then have that money funnel off to a foundation such as that. Yep. I believe that this is a solution. I, I, I so strongly believe it. I, I just know that this could work. Yep. I know it. Oh man, this <laughs> turned a little bit more. <laughs> no, it's it. Yeah. Get, but get me started, Chuck. <laughs> yeah. But, but the thing is, is, uh, you know, so I've been selling sponsorships for the podcast for a while and, you know, I've talked to a number of people and, I mean, setting something up like that takes work too. And so it's, you know, just, just, you know, the whole idea behind it. I just, I see a lot of, I mean, it's not going to happen itself. It's going to be a lot of work for the people that get involved there as well. You're exactly right. So you're exactly right. So how do people get involved if people want to sponsor or get sponsored or, you know, just raise awareness? Yeah, absolutely. Um, go to codesponsor.io. Codesponsor.io should point you either to a, a, a sponsorship path or a or a developer path. If right. you're a developer, if you have an open source project, and if you want to use that either to help fund yourself, fund your team, or fund a really good cause that you believe in, mm -hmm. that's how you do it. Go there, sign up, it's free, you'll get paid, or we can fun funnel that money to Open Collective. That's what we want to do. And we pay through Bitcoin. Okay. Or if you're a sponsor, now I, I use sponsor loosely. Sponsor is somebody who, uh, a sponsor is a company that, uh, it's basically an advertiser, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, in this, we follow a very strong code of ethics. And this code of ethics, we didn't create. It's the uh, ethical advertising that is used by several companies the one that I'm most familiar with is uh, read the read the docs. Right. And ethical advertising says it has to be relevant. It has to be non non obtrusive. It has to be um, it has to be something that people want to see, and not deceitful. Right. And and the biggest part, the biggest 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 part, no tracking happens. Like we don't track who you are. We have no idea who you are. We don't want to know who you are. If you click the link mm -hmm. and you decide, you know what, that advertisement is relevant to me. I'm going to click that. Now we'll get some information from you. But we still don't share that information with, right. with the company. We will always put the developers first. I've been a developer for 20 years, nearly 20 years. GitHub is my home. Mm -hmm. The developer communities here are my family. 
I'm not going to do anything that's going to make him that I, I just wouldn't do anything that would make him unhappy. So if you're a developer, please check it out. Yep. I think that it is for, I, I think that there are so many wins to this. If you're an advertiser, if you're a company that this resonates with, if, if, if you're a company who deals with products that developers deal with, if you are, are project management if you are uh basically if if you if you're on the the heroku add-ons if you are online education if you are a boot camp if you are a a a a consultancy if you or whatever it might be talk to me Mm -hmm. it's my goal to make it work for you yeah i'm not looking for donations I'm looking to be able to make a business transaction with you that will make you money. And then that money that's made will go into the money on our side goes back into the developer's pocket. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I'm going to push us into the next segment. I think people uh, understand what code sponsor is and what it's about. Um, is there anything else that you're working on that you want to talk about or is that kind of the main thing right now? Well, that's really the main thing right now that I'm working on. Um, I, uh, I, I work for a wonderful company called Scipio. Uh-huh. Uh, I work with just an incredible person, Nathan Hopkins. Um, he's, he's scared to death to get on these podcasts. He's scared. But the funny <laughs> thing is, is it, the man is such a, a unique, such a unique individual that, that I wish more people knew. Um, his, his handle on GitHub is Hopsoft. His Twitter is Hopsoft. Um, he's somebody that you should know. So, uh, but as far as, as far as anything else I'm working on, I'm I'm just, I'm just really trying to make this thing work. Yep. Makes sense. Uh, just to add on for people who are interested, um, Nate Hopkins was my mentor at my first development job. So he, he conducted the technical interview with me. Incidentally, it was during one of his daughter's eighth birthday party. <laughs> I, heard, I could hear kids screaming in the background while he talked to me. Um, but yeah, he was he was my mentor in my first development job, and uh, you know, kind of right. taught me the ropes of doing Rails development professionally. You know, I'd done some Rails at my previous job, but uh, yeah, and he's he's a terrific guy and just super talented. So I got I got I got to tell the story. I just got to tell the story. Okay. So, <laughs> so, and I've heard this a couple of times now, but when Nate was working with you, oh no, and you guys were working at his house in his basement, and his wife was there. His wife, Paige, wonderful person. Yep. She comes down, and at the time, your 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 desk configuration was if you paired, you had to sit really close to each other. Yep. So his wife comes down and sees um sees him sitting next to you. As if you guys are like just snuggle buddies. <laughs> then she goes, she's like, what in the world? And then she goes upstairs. And then a little later, she comes down and there's Nate sitting next to Bob on the other side. Yeah. Uh, Bob was a contractor buddy. with the same company yeah. that we were contracted to at the time. So I just think it's hilarious that, that uh, she comes down and she's like, dude, developers are weird. Developers are weird <laughs> because they, they like, they really don't have boundaries. <laughs> yeah. We like our cuddle time. <laughs> that, that, I mean, that, that's it, you know, yeah, Espe- especially you know. here in Utah. Yeah. There should be a, a sticker, hug a developer or, <laughs> or just, or, or be snuggle buddies. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and I'll tell yeah. you that unfinished basement man it sure set the mood. <laughs> if you look at his basement now, he looks like uh, he, he doesn't have any walls yet. He only has uh, the the fiberglass, and the fiberglass uh-huh. doesn't have the doesn't have the paper on it. So it looks like you're literally inside the a, a game of Contra, right? Not <laughs> nice. Contra. No, 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 not Contra. It's, it looks like the inner. It looks like he's on the inside of a whale. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's pretty much what it was when we were working together. There you go. So yeah, it had plastic over Where it. The so. magic happens. Yeah, so we didn't get stuck uh, inhaling or brushing against the fiberglass, which is fun. But yeah, uh, yeah. so yeah. man, good old times. That was a long time ago. Yeah. All right. Well, do you have any picks for us? For you, the listeners of My Ruby Story, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. A few, yeah. Uh, first, The first one is carbonads.com. That was a company I was trying to think of before. They're trying to solve the same problem I'm trying to solve. They're doing it in a very similar way, but they provide advertising directly to developers that pays developers, but they do it on a website basis. So they are they are image-based ads. And if mm-hmm. you ever go to getbootstrap.com, you'll see that there's an ad right right below that. That's them. Great, great company, great people. Right. Um, and uh, yeah. The other one that I found recently is timber.io, T-I-M-B-E-R.io. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are like a log entries. So it's, it's a really like a one step setup to get your Heroku app, um, pumping out, uh, logs to there. And it's great. I, I've really enjoyed it so far. The last one is I'm, I'm going to have to say the rework podcast that's about to come out. Come on, okay. buddy. You gotta be excited for that. Rework so, podcast. Rework by Basecamp. Oh, nice. These these guys are they are the uh, the gurus of of my industry, and and DHH really uh-huh. can do no. That that man really knows his stuff, and that company, Jason Freak. Yeah. Uh, so they're starting a podcast. I'm really excited for it, and so yeah, that's that's a, oh, and one last thing. Um, if you haven't used React Table, you should use that. If you, if you use React and you and you need a table library, uh, a guy named Tanner Lindsley, he he built this. It's an amazing, amazing library that's super easy to use. Got an excellent API, mm-hmm. very fast, uh, pagination built in, uh, highly, highly customizable. React table. Nice. I'm just going to jump in with a few things that I've got going on that I want to talk about real briefly. 
Um, one of them is Ruby Dev Summit, and I've mentioned it on several of the shows. We also have uh, several of the speakers coming on Ruby Rogues over the next several weeks. Uh, it's going to be in October. It'll be free to attend. It's online. Uh, you can get all access passes and pay for those, but I recognize that some people are just short of funds, and you know, so if they want to attend a talk live for free, great. And if you want the video recordings and things like that, then you know, get that all access pass. Uh, one other thing that I'm also going to put in here, you mentioned React. Um, I have gotten a lot of requests for a React podcast. So I've decided that uh, if there's enough interest, and I'm pretty sure there is, um, then I should have no problem getting people to fund a Kickstarter campaign to cover the first six months or so of expenses for producing the show. So if you're interested in that, I will put a link in the show notes. I'm going to be recording the video tomorrow and getting the web page up. Uh, on Kickstarter, but if you're interested in a React style or Ruby Rogue style React podcast, um, definitely go check that out and uh, give us some support that way. Um, we're going to have rewards, obviously, for people who back the show or back the show, but we're also going to have rewards for for at, at a sponsor level for corporate folks. So if you're interested in that, go check that out. And then my other pick, similar to that, that I'm also going to be pulling together tomorrow is. Uh, an Elixir podcast. I get a lot of requests for that as well. And I know that the Ruby community especially is interested in that. So uh, go check both of those out. And then finally, Dave Thomas sent me information about his Elixir course at Coding Gnome. And it's looking pretty cool. I've only watched a little bit of it, but so far it's it's pretty darn good. So if you're interested in that, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. But yeah, he's he's kind of gone all in on Elixir. And there are definitely some interesting things happening over there as well. Anything else you want to uh, bring up or talk about before we wrap this up, Eric? I'm just excited to be here, man. I'm excited to be talking to you face <laughs> to digital face. That's that, right. That, be- that beautiful smile with those headphones on, man. <laughs> and that big old stop sign right behind your head. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we got That's the video going here. Um, yeah. <laughs> or we could just drive five minutes a piece and well, that, meet face to like, actual face. Yeah, I kind of thought that was weird that we're not doing that. But, yeah. you know, I, I get it. I, we had yeah. to try out the new mic, right? That's right. That's right. All right. Well, um, we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, thanks for coming, Eric. Oh, thanks for having me, Chuck. All right. We will wrap it up and we'll catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.